Welcome to the Dunwoody Community Church Podcast. We are so glad you have chosen to listen in to one of our Sunday services, and we hope that you will be blessed by today's message. For more information about Dunwoody Community Church, please visit us at dunwoodychurch.org. That's dunwoodychurch.org. Good morning. I'm Dave Gilmore, one of the elders here at Dunwoody Community Church. You know, each time that our teaching pastor, Jeff, gives one of the elders an opportunity to speak, we are always honored. Each of the elders brings a a unique uh, perspective and a set of giftedness to the table. And uh, it is always, again, an honor uh, to hear from each one of them. This morning, we're going to talk about some perspective that I think that most of us need as uh, believers, as followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, I think that in these very unsettling times, this is a time for us to capture a new perspective or a renewed perspective, per se, given all that's occurring in the world. Charles Dickens, back in the 1800s, wrote uh, a series of books. One of the ones that I love most is A Tale of Two Cities. Let uh, Let me read from the beginning of that for you. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven. We were all going direct the other way. In short, the period was so far like the present period that some of the noisiest authorities insisted on it being received for good or evil in the superlative degree of comparison only. Extraordinary words that pretty much describe the world that we live in today. And particularly coming over the last 18 months or so, we certainly have seen radical changes in our society, in our, in our, in our world on multiple dimensions. Just the last 14 months since COVID-19 hit, and we have gone through this, uh, this almost surreal time together. It has been an extraordinary observation of lessons and questions and doubts. We are in, often in conflict wondering what does the future hold coming out of this period. I want to share with you some perspectives on a global, um, on a, on a global basis that might be uh, helpful to us, and then we'll share a different perspective. When we look over the, what's happening in the world, um, let me just share some of this. Uh, geopolitically, we are in a very awkward, if not tenuous, place. Um, the director of national intelligence uh, puts out a report each year uh, on what is called the threat report against the security of the United States. And as we read that report, we are concerned, of course. Um, we find that China is the number one threat to the United States national security, not just economically, but on multiple dimensions. The level of aggression that we have seen the Chinese uh, move into over the last uh, 12 
uh, 18 months is unprecedented only because that has not been the standard uh, way of, of expressing Chinese diplomacy. We're watching the threats to the regional um, neighbors of China in the Eastern Asian theater, and particularly Taiwan, which we are deeply concerned with here in these United States. It's interesting, we have never formalized an, an alliance or uh, a treaty with uh, Taiwan, though we have, by, um, by relationship and publication, have made them a de facto ally. And we have promised to defend them over many decades. And now we are at a place where probably more than ever before, they are threatened by uh, China to be assumed and brought into a unified China. And the question is, of course, on everyone's mind, will the United States step, step in to, to defend this island nation? Uh, the question is rather large and is looming large among the diplomacy ranks across the world simply because it should, should the United States choose to not defend, it will send a significant message across all of our allies in that greater Eastern and uh, Asia Pacific uh, theater that maybe we're not good for uh, our word when it comes to uh, stepping up and defending against threat. So we're in a pretty precarious place like right now. Secondly, we're watching what's happening in Russia. In a, just uh, never before have we seen the massing of troops uh, as they are right now along the Ukrainian border and up into the, the uh, Baltic states. Um, there is a great threat uh, where, where the published estimates are about uh, 80,000 Russian troops along the border. It actually exceeds 100,000. And uh, with that comes all of the armaments and aircraft and other things. And it is uh, maybe a show of force, maybe a show of intimidation, or maybe something more sinister. NATO put out a report that said that should Russia choose to make an aggressive step across the border, particularly into the, into, uh, the Baltics, uh, this would be uh, Lithuania, Estonia, uh, Latvia, these countries, uh, that they could literally overwhelm them within 72 hours before NATO would be able to, to take action. These are threatening times across the world. We're watching what's happening in Iran, and of course we're back into a negotiation about a nuclear um, Iran or not. And uh, of course all of the Middle Eastern neighbors in that place, and particularly any that are American allies, are deeply concerned uh, um, about whether we uh, promote and allow or whether we stand firm about a non-nuclear Iran. And it is creating a tremendous amount of, of unsettledness uh, among the diplomatic corps. What's perhaps um, encouraging is that in the current negotiations, it is more than a U.S. Uh, and Iran uh, discussion, but other players are being brought to the table, like Israel and, uh, and Saudi and some of the other neighbors in the area, so that it's a more inclusive discussion. Uh, we're still not sure what all of that means. Across the world today, we're watching Israel in dramatic conflict with the Palestinians. We're watching what's happening in, with the Armenians and, of course, the ongoing tragedy 
of loss of life in Syria. Uh, India is continuing to have border skirmishes with the Chinese. Uh, the nation of Chad in Africa has recently lost its president, and of course there is unrest in the country. Ethiopia is in dire straits um, militarily and with conflict. Sudan, um, Yemen, Somalia, Afghanistan, the Sahel, which is uh, northern Africa, is in a tremendous amount of conflict. Myanmar, Mozambique, there are so many, and I could go on and on and on, where there are either limited or larger scale conflicts occurring that are threatening the general geopolitical balance in the world. And if you look at the news, if you are watching uh, any news media, you're hearing this on a regular basis, and it's peppering our minds with uncertainty and doubt, and in some cases, fear. We are here in the United States, a nation divided. And we have been living in that context for some time. Politically, I don't, uh, I don't know that we have been this divided, perhaps since back in the 1800s that led to a civil war. Certainly, we saw the embarrassment to the United States that occurred in January when citizens of this country chose to attack the Capitol and create just an unbelievable unrest. People were killed. Um, but more importantly, the nation was embarrassed around the world to see this type of activity, but it really was simply a marker of a divided nation. Certainly, we're watching the ongoing drama of elections as we talk about voter rights and different states are making different positional moves to position parties, to position themselves for a best case advantage in the next, ele next elections. And of course, this is creating an even deeper divide not just at the federal level, but certainly state by state, district by district across the United States. From an economic standpoint, we live in a period of uncertainty. The United States economy is coming back pretty quickly, but it is a word of caution that this economy is about one inch deep. We are, we are still fragile and frail. We have an un, uh, unbelievable amount of of uh, commercial debt that is defaulting around the United States. We're, we're in a precarious, funny place. We're watching inflation start to jump like we were not expecting. Um, we're watching price rises on consumer goods that we haven't seen for many, many years. And then, of course, we have, we have our ongoing um, concerns regarding cyber disruption, of course, we saw what happened with the Colonial Pipeline Company just a couple of weeks ago here in the greater Atlanta area. They're headquartered in Alpharetta. And we saw the, the, uh, the hijacking, if you're going to call it, the ransom of that system that yielded about a $5 million ransom payment to release it. And as a result of all of that, we watched overnight um, oil prices, gas prices at the pump just significantly rise. And it showed us just a small anecdote of how vulnerable we are as a nation in just things like that, which is, of course, more a private infrastructure. Our public infrastructure continues to be a question mark. And so as we have moved particularly through this COVID period and we become radically um, dependent upon the internet and upon technology as a ways and means of communicating and conducting commerce, we find ourselves even more vulnerable 
to intrusion in, on many different ways. And so these are concerns that are rising up within each of us. And I know that. And you're probably asking, Dave, why are you talking about this in the context of a Sunday morning? I'm supposed to be feeling good right now. I'm not supposed to be feeling distressed. I'm mentioning them and speaking to them directly because I believe they are in the context of who we are as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ. These are our current realities. And it's important for us to speak to them directly so that we are all on the same page as to a recognition and an acknowledgement of the place where we are. Socially, here in the United States, we've seen an unbelievable amount of disruption. Certainly, it was exacerbated by our uh, public health crisis going through the pandemic. And the, just the, the unbelievable um, escalation of race-based injustices that have occurred here in the United States. And then the knee-jerk overreaction of wanting to defund our police. And so we have two ends of this, this dynamic occurring. We're watching an ever-widening poverty gap here in the U.S. It is getting wider and wider as these things occur. Back in the early 1980s, the famous scientist Jonas Salk, who was the fellow who developed the vaccine for polio, he was also somewhat of a philosopher and large thinker beyond science. And Jonas wrote a book um, that was never published that his son Jonathan uh, published uh, just a couple of years ago called A New Reality. And in this book, he posits that we are entering a stage, and of course this was 40 years ago, that we would be entering an era where there would be a significant divergence from traditional values. And he talked about the, the change or the transitions that would occur because of demographic change, because of generational transitions. And of course, we've been watching that for some time. You look at our baby boomer generation, estimated somewhere between 70 and 77 million Americans. Uh, we've been turning 65 years old, 10,000 of us every day turn 65 years old from January of 2011 all the way up through 2030. And that's just crazy, isn't it? Uh, 10,000 people a day turning 65 here in the United States. It's interesting because within that context is, of course, the largest hold of wealth in the history of the United States is held with the baby boomer generation. And now as they begin to transition out, we have this significant transfer of wealth occurring in the, Ameri in the Americas. And we're watching a significant change in the way that people think and behave and how values begin to diverge. We have the Generation X, which is interestingly uh, designated as divided because about the older half of that generation are more like the baby boomers. The younger half are more like the generation that's coming up behind, which we have heard about for so many years, called the millennials. And the millennials and the younger Gen Xers, along uh, with some of what's called the Gen Zs that are coming on up, are really those who will take power in government, in business, in education, in law, in all of the disciplines across our economy and across our society for the next 30, 40, 50 years. And they are bringing with them a new set of values 
a new set of attitudes, a new set of priorities. And so you see this traditional value set being radically challenged as a divergence occurs. And this generation begins to, uh, to descend, this generation begins to ascend, and with it, a new set of these values. As that occurs, we see powder kegs of conflict occur, right? Because we, we of the older generation may want to hold on to some things, and we don't want to see them change. While other generations are saying, but that's irrelevant to us. That's not what we believe. That's not what we hold precious. That's not what we hold to at all. And with that, there's this strain that occurs. And as that occurs, there's always conflict. I'm not speaking about right and wrong or left and, and right or liberal or, or conservative or red or blue. I'm talking about a fundamental change in the way that people think and speak and behave based in the core values of their life, their perspectives that have occurred. And this will continue to develop over this next 10 years. What we're seeing in our society and our economy and the way that decisions are made are a direct reflection of this divergence that I'm speaking of. Now, our natural response, and it is a natural response, our natural response is, of course, the typical responses that we hear to anything that is a threat. If this scares you and is considered a threat, then you're probably responding in one of the, the traditional four ways. Number one is fear, where you just, ah, you're not sure what to do, and, and anxiety comes around your life. The second is to just fake it. I'm just gonna play like everything's okay and maybe it'll go away and everything will be okay. I call that the head in sand perspective. The third is to run away. I'm just going to run away to something. I, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to run away to another country. I'm going to run away to another activity. I'm going to become addicted to something so I can deny the reality of what I'm seeing because it scares me what's happening. Or number four, I'm going to fight. And I'm going to argue and fight and conflict and get crazy because I've got to hold on to things. We can be overcome by these immediacies, obsessing on the here and now to the point that we utterly lose perspective. I remember back in the late 1960s and early 70s, over 50 years ago, when these crazy people were marching in the streets. We didn't have that in America people marching in the streets and burning American flags. And I'm telling you that people thought the world was coming to the end. And by the way, many of those were the baby boomers who were doing it. The greatest generation, the one right before it, was utterly shocked and did not understand what was happening. We watched dramatic changes in our economy. We saw the end of the gold standard. We were sure the world would end when we took away the gold standard. We saw a tremendous amount of changes occurring around the world that, that we weren't ready for. We saw what happened with Vietnam and we, we didn't understand how could America ever lose a war or what would we do? And so all of this, this divergence of values occurred 50 years ago, and we're smack dab in the middle of it. Now the difference is, is that technology is exacerbating these changes like nothing before. News is instant. 
and it's running 24 hours a day on any given channel, we've gone through a series of crises this year. We've spoken about this before. We went through a public health crisis. We're still in it. Not, it's not over yet, folks, around the world. That led to an economic crisis. That economic crisis tumbled into a social crisis and a political crisis. We've been watching a climate crisis mount up for some time, and here we are probably at the worst crisis of all that the American people are going through. It is the crisis with truth, where everything is up for grabs, where questions are being thrown out that there are no responses to. And so we're in a pickle of a place, aren't we? But let me offer a different perspective. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 12 through 17, here is what the prophet says. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breath of his, breath of his hand has marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales or the hills on a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as nothing and less than nothing. The kings of the earth, the presidents, the prime ministers, the rulers, the dictators of the earth all believe within the context of their, their minds that they are right, that they are doing the right thing for their people, for their things. Some of that is just outrageous. Some of that we consider to be unlawful. Some of that we, we are not sure about. Some of that leaves us in this insecurity. But God has everything under control. In the book of Daniel, we read in the fourth chapter about the king Nebuchadnezzar, who was purported to be the most powerful ruler on the planet Earth at the time. And the story goes in verse 29 of Daniel 4, as King Nebuchadnezzar was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said to himself, is not this the great Babylon I have built? as a ro my royal residence, by my mighty power, and for the glory of my majesty. Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what I is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken away from you. You will be driven away from people, and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like an ox. Seven times will pass by you for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. 
Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched and the dew of heaven fell on him and his hair grew like feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird, a distorted being living out in the rough. At the time, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time, my sanity was restored. My honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. You see, God is over all things. And for you as a follower of Jesus Christ, we hear the words of Paul in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, all things work together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. All those things that I was just talking about at the beginning, about what's happening in the global scale, geopolitically, economically, socially, the divergence of values, the conflicts, the ugly, all that's happening is all being worked together for our good because we love him and because he called us into a purpose that he has. He is working his purpose in all things. The philosopher says he came to the park in Hyde Park one day, and he said, let us pretend that we are going to take a picnic to the park. And there we arrive with basket in hand and blanket under arm. And walking across the park, we we find a spot that will be ours. And we lay out the blanket and we unpack the basket and we, we put everything out, just getting ready to enjoy our lunch. When we decide... Let us take a walk before we imbibe. And so we take the walk and we come back and we approach the blanket where everything is laid out. And as we approach the blanket, we look down and we see that one intruder has entered the space. For a single ant has come across the blanket. And we stand over that blanket and look down, wondering what will happen with this ant as he enters the blanket. And there he moves across and encounters a significant obstacle, a salt mill. And there goes over the salt mill and round and round and back over, looking until finally he breaks free and moves forward in his journey, only to encounter an even greater obstacle, the cup and saucer. And there finds his way around. And it is at that moment, as we stand over this blanket, that we understand we are God and the ant is us. And this blanket is all of life 
from beginning to end. And we see that God, who stands over us, sees the beginning and the end as all at once. And in his wisdom, he reaches down and he permits certain things to occur by moving things so that we can traverse. And he prevents certain things from occurring by putting things in our way to redirect our our path. We are making choices in our quote-unquote free will, but God has a larger will that he is expressing in our life in the grand scheme of his sovereignty. For God is sovereign over all things. What's the application this morning for you? What is it that we should take from these words? First and foremost, trust God. As the children of God, we have a refuge. We have a place to run. We have someone who is trustworthy to put all of our faith in, all of our fears, all of our worries, our doubts, all of our wonder and our love. We have a a, a Father in heaven who loves us, who is just simply saying, come on, come on, I'll take care of you. When we change our perspective from our immediacies and watching all this disruption and we ascend into the heavens and be with him, we suddenly have a different perspective, don't we? We're suddenly looking over things and understanding that his will is being worked out in all things. And with that, we can rest. You see, you and I are not citizens of this kingdom, according to Jesus. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. That's why he said, To Peter, put your sword away. My soldiers don't fight like that. What he wants from us is our trust. Brennan Manning, one of my favorite authors, said that our our greatest gift back to God is trust. He is so enchanted by our trust that he gave his son's life for love of our trust. Would, ladies and gentlemen, that we would stop a moment and ask, How can I find the place of trust again? You can find it by ascending into his presence and being with him. Number two application this morning is really that we stay together in all of this. Knowing our proclivities as humans, we we have a proclivity to divide, to blame, to argue, to hold our selfish positions, but Paul wrote to the Ephesians something different. In Ephesians chapter 4, he says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing up with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body. There is one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all, And in our notice, seven times in that passage, he speaks of oneness. This is what God wants for us. He wants us to put away our worries and our fears and our disagreements and come together in love. 
because that is what marks the difference between a believer and those who are not. Jesus said, it is by this that you will know that people are my disciples because they love one another. They stay together. They work it out because we live in the context of trust. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope that you'll take this to heart. Move into a new posture of trust with God. Put all these anxieties away. Know that he's working out his plan and he has everything worked out for you. Don't worry. It's all going to be okay. Understand that he wants us to be together in all of this, not alone. The enemy always wants to divide us and isolate us. We have an opportunity to show that we are different. Thank you for taking the time to to be with me this morning. I hope these words are encouraging. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you love us so much that you gave your son who came to secure us and we are marked as belonging to the Most High God, the one that Nebuchadnezzar praised. We belong to the Most High God. And we have nothing to fear when we place our trust in you. Father, help us to stay together, to heal the breaches, to forgive one another under your love. For all these things we ask and trust you for. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.